Last Lord's Day, we, uh, we looked at the passage from John 7:53 to 8:11, And as is the case when one looks at that passage, we had to talk a little bit about New Testament manuscripts and how the New Testament made its way to us from its ancient origin. Well, there are similar conversations to be had about the Old Testament as well. And I thought we would take this opportunity and have a look at those. I'm Pastor Russell Howard, and this is Beyond the Notes. Hey, I'm really glad you're with us today. Um, we we talked about it last Lord's Day this this um, this paragraph, this enigmatic but but wonderful story of uh, the the dastardly scribes and Pharisees casting the woman taken in adultery at Jesus's feet and asking him what they thought was the ultimate entrapment question: Would he endorse her stoning or would he forbid it? One being what the law requires and the other being what grace would perhaps um, suggest, and how Jesus was able to, by writing something on the ground with his finger, send them all skulking away and, uh, and leave the woman in a moment where she was receptive to the notion of forgiveness and change. And it is a marvelous story. I have nothing against the story. I've gotten a couple of emails since I preached that message that uh, uh, as though people think I'm so, sort of against something inside that story. I'm not. I think it's a perfectly lovely story. Um, I, I, As I said in the message, I don't believe it's a part of the Gospel of John, and therefore I don't believe it is canonical. I don't believe it's Scripture. No idea whether it, whether it actually happened or not. That's uh, impossible for one to know. At any rate, not going to further pursue that. But I want to recap. Remember, as I shared... Our New Testament began as the original writings done in the in the circumstances that that by and large we know about from being able to to study context. We know that Paul wrote, for example, uh, the letter of Galatians sometime around the time of the uh, Jerusalem Council of AD fifty, writing back to the churches of the pro- the Roman province of South Galatia that had been planted on his first missionary journey. That puts that letter around A.D. 50. We know that internally the, the letter claims that Paul wrote it with his own hand. It's uh, not with any sort of scribal assistance. At any rate, that, that letter, as with all the other books of the New Testament, it circulated freely among the early church as different congregations found these, these writings to be extraordinarily profitable. They, they uh, copied them and circulated them. And it was, it was not until the 6th or 7th century, sort of the very early Middle Ages, that there was uh, organized sort of academic copying of the available manuscripts. Prior to that time, it is as, as organic and, and the, the opposite of professional. It was done by just passionate, enthusiastic church members. They probably had to have access to some means. Papyrus wasn't all that all that cheap to be used and then given away for something the length of, of a New Testament book. But uh, these copies proliferated all over the, the, the known world. The Koine Greek was the language of the entire Mediterranean basin, so there was a language in which that could happen. And so we have the, the spreading of these manuscripts. 
Uh, fast forward until the, uh, the 18th century, early 19th century, and the, the field of biblical archaeology opens up. Now, one stream of these manuscripts had been sort of centered in monastic life and had made its way straight through uh, from about the 6th or 7th century on, being copied by, by monastic scribes, monks, if you will, and, and those things. And so we have things like the very early King James Version that is built on, on texts that come down that stream of copying from the 6th, 7th, 8th centuries. <clears throat> but when the... the uh, discipline of biblical archaeology sort of came online in the 1700s, 1800s, uh, we begin to dig in places like Egypt and uh, Syria, Turkey, Greece, Italy. And what we discover are thousands of manuscripts that are far earlier than anything we've ever had before. These manuscripts, in some cases, dated by, by things like, as I said in the message, ink composition, uh, the material written on, and the style of handwriting. Some dated all the way back, like P52 that I described in the uh, Sunday message, as far back as very, very nearly the first century, very early second century. Uh, but again, before, certainly before the Edict of Milan in 313, when Christianity was still completely illegal throughout the Roman Empire, these manuscripts were copied by hand, they were circulated, and we have these these marvelous organic emergence. We find these manuscripts, we do the hard work of comparing them, and we are able to do the best job um, ever of, of sort of working our way back to a reconstruction, a faithful reconstruction of what those original manuscripts would have said. And again, I dealt in the message with, with the paragraph 753 through 811 in John, one of the, the largest uh, disputable passage in in your New Testament. What about the Old Testament? What's the story there? Well, there, there are two or three things to keep in mind. Let me go ahead and just kind of kind of alert, give away the, the ending. We don't deal with as many of the types of, of complexities that the New Testament gives us when dealing with Old Testament manuscripts. We have a much more um, rigidly uniform Old Testament text that we deal with, and that is for um, at least the following. Oh, let me see. I didn't number my reasons. One, two, three, three good reasons. First, as the text of the Old Testament was in use in ancient Israel, even the, the writings of the law and the prophets, the wisdom literature. Uh, the Psalms, which were a written hymn book of the nation of Israel from their very beginning, national Israel had the scribes. We, we hear them referred to in the New Testament as in parallel with the scribes and Pharisees, as though, oh, we know who those are. Those are the bad guys. Well, hold up a second. The scribes were something else other than a recurring villain in the Jesus story. Scribes were a professional scribal class who, whose whole thing was to copy scriptural manuscripts so that copies of scripture were available. And they were extraordinarily disciplined, extraordinarily rigid, extraordinarily careful. Uh, there are even stories of, of once they had finished making their handwritten copy of the prophet Nahum, for example, they would go through and count the letters in their original and their copy. And if the letter count was off, they would destroy the copy they had just made, knowing there was an error in it somewhere. So you have an extremely 
disciplined, professional, scribal class going all the way back to centuries before Christ working on these Old Testament manuscripts. Plus, you have from about 300 years before Jesus coming out of Egypt, you have a a Greek translation of the Old Testament. As Koine Greek, common Greek, became the ascendant language in the Mediterranean basin, uh, the the great library of Alexandria had had many uh, earlier works translated precisely into the Greek language. Now, it's not the original Hebrew text, I'll give you that, but the, the Old Testament that was in the hands of many of the people that Jesus encountered and the apostles encountered during the, the first century was this Greek translation of the, of the Hebrew Bible known as the Septuagint. Septuagint has the word 70 as its root. It was a, ostensibly a committee of 70 people working in Egypt in about the 330 or so uh, B.C. that actually created the Septuagint translation. And the Septuagint is often quoted in the New Testament uh, because it was the Old Testament translation people had access to. And it reflects back on the Old Testament text and gives us a tremendous insight into the Old Testament text and its reliability. It's a solid reflection of the underlying Hebrew. And then third uh, reason, we have a, a formal scribal tradition. We have the testimony of the Septuagint. And then third, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus interacted with the Old Testament during his earthly ministry. And he interacted with it in a way that attests to its reliability. Put really, really simple, I had a, I had a tremendous Old Testament professor when I was in seminary, uh, Dr. David Skinner from Mid-America was one of my principal Old Testament professors. And he was, a, he, was, uh, he was a good old boy from Mississippi who had the most brilliant Old Testament Hebrew mind I've certainly ever sat under. And Dr. Skinner said, simply put, boys, if the Old Testament had needed fixing, Jesus would have fixed it. And, and that's an important point. Jesus did not say, well, you've got it all messed up when you, when you include Ecclesiastes, or you've got it all messed up when you, when you uh, take the sections of Isaiah and, and, and arrange them as Isaiah is arranged. And some later scholars tried to rearrange it, but they didn't have any textual reason to. That's a rabbit. Won't chase it. Isaiah is intact because Jesus treated it like it was intact and he never fixed it. So, Where's our bottom line as we, as we end this little Sunday morning and beyond the notes side trip into our Bible texts and where we got them? Two things. First, you can trust your Bible. Unless it's a New World translation that was given to you by a Jehovah's Witness on your front porch. If you got one of those, throw it out. But if uh, the ESV, the NIV, the King James, the New King James, the New American Standard, the Old American Standard, and any other mainstream translation you've got, it's trustworthy. And the, and the key critical concepts of Scripture will be there and they'll be intact. It's sometimes interesting to compare slight differences to see what different editors and different translators have decided. But the, the great doctrines of the faith, the important truths, the details you need for Bible study are there And you are good to go because centuries of hard academic work in in both reassembling the text and doing the translation, those those things have been done. And uh, it matters to place that reliable English translation in your hands. Second takeaway, and it's a smaller one. The big takeaway is you can trust your Bible. 
The smaller takeaway is the the academic work does matter. The uh, the archaeology, the preservation, and sometimes uh, restoration of these texts where they have been found in places where even like the leaves of a text are are stuck together by time, and they have to be meticulously separated by a restorationist before we can even hope to see what's what's written on both sides of a papyrus, etc. And then the academic work of of working in these original languages. You don't need to know Greek and Hebrew to study your um, New Testament and Old Testament. You really don't. But for those who would teach those things, it's not a bad thing to have spent the time in, in the classroom and paid those dues. Doesn't mean that the, 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 the degree holders are in any way superior to those who don't hold those degrees. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying it's a good thing, as Ephesians 4.11 says, that that some are sent into the church to be teachers and shepherding teachers even. And that those shepherding teachers, it's a good thing for them to be trained and facile. So every time down your life, a a pastor or teacher has said to you, well, in the original Greek, it's clearer that this and this and this. I pray that they have done the work to be a good trail guide to you as you walk the trail. And the word of God is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path in a very trustworthy way. Hey, we talk about the podcast, all the other McGregor podcasts all the time on this podcast. And I hope by now you have subscribed to both Here at Home with Pastor Mark Bricker and Talk Truth with Chloe Weimer. And I want to go ahead and be very specific with a plug uh, because the most recent episode of Talk Truth that features Chloe Weimer and Dr. Ron Cook talking about can a Christian be depressed is generating quite a stir and quite a conversation. And I think that's a good thing. It's a question that most of us who do pastoral counseling have been asked. And and, and it touches on questions like what is the relationship between my Christian faith and and my my spiritual well-being as overlaid with my mental, emotional well-being and even my physical well-being? And and what are the uh, ways in which I should think? about Christians who have psychological and emotional struggles and perhaps even spiritual struggles, physical struggles as well. It's a fantastic episode. I commend it to you highly. I hope you'll subscribe to all of our channels. At any rate, sure glad you joined me for this one and I am pleased to have been with you. Till next time, I'm Russell Howard and this is Beyond the Notes.